What's up, everyone? It is episode 26 of RJ Bell's Dream Preview, the NBA edition with myself, Joe Serralo, and my man, as always, Mackenzie Rivers. We've got an NBA show for you in the middle of March Madness. So, Mackenzie, I think we're going to incorporate a little college hoops into this episode. How you doing, man? How was your first weekend of the NCAA tournament? It was madness, man. I mean, here at pregame, it's it's pretty serious business from not even September. I'd say late August, there's there's a vibe that we need to get things uh, laced up. And then obviously football season, it's the biggest sport in the land. And uh, we treat it appropriately. A lot of hard work goes into it. And then after the Super Bowl, yeah, there's maybe a week where, where you can you can uh, let your hair down a little bit. But it's it's not that long before you have 64 games, 64 teams, everybody is interested in it. Everybody has skin in the game. And you got to deliver if you want if you want people uh you know if you want people to hear you, then you've got to say something important. So we took last week very seriously. Props to AJ Hoffman holding us down with great college basketball analysis. Props to Steve Fezzik holding us down from the betters side. I thought we had a really good week, really fun podcast, but it was it was uh it was a bear. And it I kind of I kind of took a step back from the NBA uh for most of the last week while I while I kind of caught up and and figured out what what was going on with colleges. And uh now I'm back. I'm ready. I'm ready to get back into into uh the pros, how the, how the how the best do it. Yeah, you know, it's funny, man, cuz I'm with you. I took a bit of a step back from the NBA myself. And conference tournament week was very profitable for me. The round of 64, not so much. Had one of my worst days ever on Friday. But in the spirit of the NBA, this is an NBA show. Made it all back and then some with the biggest bet of my life on the Utah Jazz at my Knicks last night. So that was a winner, a huge winner at that. Let's talk about which of these young guns, which of these college basketball players we're going to see in June, get selected by a team at the next level. Mackenzie, my question's twofold, my man. Who do you think is going to be the number one pick in the draft in a couple months? And do you see that same player being the most successful prospect of this year's draft class? Well, first of all, I got to go back. I got to go 30 seconds back. You can't just, we can't just fly by that. We can't just <laughs> Ferrari right down the street with a cup hanging out there. Uh, so you're saying that you had a terrible Friday and then you bet the biggest bet of your life. It's great that you won. It's great that you had a great analysis, but I have to ask, are you, was it too much? Were you, were you chasing at that point? Was it, was it an uncomfortable amount because you wanted to get it all back? Because at pregame, we want you, we want everyone listening to bet better. Was it an irresponsible bet? I have to ask the question. Yeah, it, it was a total fucking chase. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, you're young. You can make it back. You can make it back. So you, you're going to learn from the, those mistakes. That's, that's quite all right. Uh, if those, if they come, or maybe uh, you know, some people uh, win the first five, you know, ridiculous bets that they make, and then even though they didn't, they never really learned that lesson. They have enough, uh, have enough in the bank. Have enough. You know, they've dedicated enough. They're in it now, and they go for it. So. Anyway, getting back to the question, getting back to March Madness and looking at these players, Auburn's Jamari Smith got knocked out as the big favorite. For a long time, in late February, he had kind of risen to be that number one consensus. Now I think most people think, I think anyway, forgetting what most people think, I think it's got to be Chet Holmgren. 
when you look at the comps, you look at Chet Holmgren, you hear people like Kevin Durant, Giannis Antetokounmpo, people that seem kind of too big for their frames already, but have skills that that you just don't expect people to ever learn, ever be able to gain, stuff that you just can't teach, as they say. Being shown at such a young age with that kind of stroke, that kind of defensive prowess already, Chet Holmgren, for his upside, I think has to be number one. However, I think Jabari Smith, if we're saying who's likely to be a more effective player, it's probably Jamari Smith. You look at his comps, it's Rashard Lewis, it's Tobias Harris, it's it's quality, you know, borderline all-star players for 10 years. That's consistency. That's what you're getting if, if you're going the Jawari Smith route. You know, it's funny, Mackenzie, because I am obsessed with college basketball. You know, you don't go to St. Bonaventure unless you're obsessed with college basketball. So, yeah, and I believe I said this last week, I probably watch more college hoops than I do even the NBA. To me, Jabari Smith is much more like Kevin Durant than Chet Holmgren could ever be. I think that Jabari Smith has the perfect combination of size and skill. Whereas right now, Holmgren, all you're seeing from him is dominance, in my opinion, against the little schools because of his size. Because he's a 7-1 guy who, you know, occasionally can get hot from beyond the arc. But Jabari Smith has been more consistent beyond the arc. He is 80% at the free throw line since February 16th in nine games. The dude is averaging 22 points and nine boards out there. He's efficient. He can stretch the floor, run the floor. He can guard anyone from the two to the five, and he can play the three to the five. To me, Jabari Smith is much more like a KD. Don't want to compare him yet to Giannis, just because physically Giannis is just on another planet. But his finesse, his composure, again, this Durant comp is not one that I take lightly because this is a man who you know might go down as the best pure scorer of all time. But I just see the attitude, the composure. I see it. Whereas Holmgren, he has not stepped up, in my opinion, a single time this season when he's needed to. Yes, he got fat, you know, playing in the West Coast Conference, had career nights against the University of San Diego. But when you look at Gonzaga's non-conference slate, he had two points against the University of Texas. Now, Texas was ranked fifth at the time. They ended the year getting a sixth seed in the NCAA tournament. Not like Texas was this incredible, amazing team. He had two points against them. Just five points against Texas Tech, 10 against Alabama. I mean, his three games against St. Mary's, the only team that can compete with Gonzaga, actually won a game out of three against him. He scored 11, six in the loss, and then eight in the West Coast Conference Championship game. You know, to me, Holmgren has been absolutely MIA in big games, did nothing against Memphis the other night. Gonzaga barely scraped by Penny Hardaway's Tigers. I believe he had eight points in that game, or excuse me, uh, nine points against Memphis in that game. He has not been impressive to me when the bright lights are on. Jabari Smith has. I agree with you. I think Smith is set up for the most successful NBA career, but man, if I'm the Rockets, I am salivating at the idea of Jalen Green and Jabari Smith three to four years from now. You raise a lot of good points that I want to talk about because I will defer to you when it comes to college expert uh, college expertise and acumen. But first, I want to ask you, did you see the Auburn game uh, where they went down as big favorites? And how did Jamari Smith play in that game to you? Yeah, he uh, he wasn't great against Miami. I, you know, I wasn't all that impressed. I thought that Auburn, kind of like myself uh, this weekend, was chasing, that they never got in a rhythm, they never got comfortable, never got confident. You know, 
this was probably, you know, I mentioned his numbers over the last nine. This was probably the one time in those last nine games that he wasn't efficient from the floor. Um, you know, Miami just kind of went up early. They weren't up big early. Uh, they were up just enough at halftime. And then the beginning of the second half, the Hurricanes, well, you know, they were a hurricane in the gym. They, uh, they just blew through Auburn. And uh, the Tigers were not able as a collective unit to really compose themselves. So, yes, yeah, Smith did. Uh, he did end his Auburn career on not the best note, but eight games in a row leading up to that conference games down the stretch, the SEC tournament. I really thought he was impressive. I'll say this. He went down swinging. That's kind of what I want to see from a team leader. Three for 16. But hey, when you're when you're not scoring enough and Miami has 79 points, you're down 18. I want my best player to continue to fire. Don't be four for 10 and say I did everything I can because I have a triple double. That's not a leader. That's not good basketball. It's just, it's, it's, uh, it's selfish. And, and Jabari Smith didn't do that. Talking about the Memphis game. I watched that game very closely. I was not impressed at all. And it was probably the, the first time I watched Chet Holmgren, you know, full 40 minutes. And I just thought, Oh, okay, well he's having the worst game of his career. And you know, that happens. But then you mentioned it two points versus Texas. And he's had some of these other stinkers. He looked very shook. He looked very, uh, and maybe because Drew Smith got Drew Timmy got hot in the second half, he didn't mind deferring, but he didn't look comfortable with with a hand in his back. And you say, okay, well, if he gains thirty pounds, if if he does the NBA type regimen, okay. But that said, that said, I'll say this: he made the right plays. He got the ball to Drew Timmy because he was hot, and he ended up leading or being part of a win effort. So in both cases, in Jabari Smith's case, I think he did the right thing basketball-wise. Go down shooting, go down with your ship, be a captain, be a leader. And Chet Holmgren, hey, this guy who's like 24 years old is having the game of his life, you should probably get out the way. The fact that he was kind of bullied, the fact that I, that he seemed kind of frail, that he had bad turnovers that were more cause of indecision and, and lack of aggression than anything else, didn't impress me. And you've watched a lot more college basketball than me. I kind of... To be, to be honest, I was kind of listening to uh, whispers and, and words and Tobias Harris, and it kind of all came together for me without doing that much research. Looking at some of these Jabari Smith highlights, I might have been selling this guy short. I was kind of thinking just a solid player with no upside, but dude has, it seems like he can jump 40 feet. He seems like he has that kind of pull-up range that's more Kevin Durant than Rashard Lewis, because he'll do it in your face. So uh, it'll be exciting to see. I'm not I'm not a draft guru, so don't don't take my money to the bank. Before this conversation, I was thinking the upside made Chet Holmgren the obvious pick, while Jamari Smith was more likely to be solid. Now I think he's might—he's still likely more, more likely to be solid, more likely to work out. Chet Holmgren looks like nothing we've ever seen before. Uh, I think it was Doug Gottlieb talking about an NBA GM was wondering, have we ever seen a, a humpbacked NBA player? And it's, it's unfair to Chet Holmgren, and he's not a humpback, but he does look unlike anything I've ever seen before which uh, might scare you as a GM. It also kind of excites me as a fan because I'm thinking I never saw anything like Giannis before. And then he became a player that I've never seen before as well. Yeah. I, I mean, look, and, and you know, the, the kid's what, 19 years old. So to look at him now and, you know, judge his body type now, as opposed to where he might be in three, four years, it's not entirely fair. Giannis was a lot skinnier, you know, when he was a rookie than he is now where he's shredded practically 0% body fat. But Giannis had some definition. You know, I worry about Holmgren. Yes, he's blocking shots left and right. But like I said, it's against the University of San Diego, who's running out of six foot seven center, and the guy is seven one seven two. I worry about Holmgren 
going up for a physical rebound in the NBA, coming down and his legs snapping in half. I mean, we talk about Kevin Durant having chicken legs and, and being a little fragile. Chet Holmgren makes Kevin Durant look like Shaq. I, I mean, this guy is so freaking skinny that it actually concerns me. Whereas Jabari Smith, I'm just as comfortable with him playing in the post as I am with him playing around the perimeter. And his mid-range game too, chef's kiss, just like Kevin Durant. Like the guy, to me, he just has the most complete game. Whereas Holmgren at 7-1, I'm not sold as a post player. And I'm sorry, even though he can shoot the three competently, not as well as Jabari, but competently, you you can't be 7-1 and just camp out and try to catch and shoot around the perimeter. In fact, I would say that for Memphis, if their two big guys didn't each have four fouls, specifically Jalen Duran, their center, who is just one of the most physical body bangers, he's 6'11", 250. If Jalen Duran, who averaged 12 and 8 on the season, if he didn't have four fouls and if he wasn't limited to just 19 minutes in that game, I think the Memphis Tigers pull off the upset, they beat Gonzaga, and the whole country is talking about Chet Holmgren a little differently right now. You know, you brought up Drew Timmy. Timmy's another guy who's going to get drafted probably in the second round, probably won't have, you know, doesn't have the skill set to have the NBA career. A guy like Holmgren is potentially capable of. Without Timmy, the Zag season is over. I mean, Holmgren, we're talking about him being the number one pick. He was their fourth leading scorer, didn't even crack double digits. I'm convinced if Jalen Duran doesn't get in foul trouble, if he isn't limited to just 19 out of 40 minutes, the Gonzaga Bulldogs are on their couches right now, just like you and me. Who says we can't do a college basketball podcast? (laughs) You you, you make a lot of good points there. One thing I'll say is this, coming back to my NBA acumen, I watched very closely closely after the 2005 Illinois-North Carolina championship, thinking as a kid, I'll admit this is like a childlike thought, how is Raymond Felton and Sean May drafted after Marvin Williams? They were so much better in college. They were so much more important to that championship run. Yeah, True Timmy's better than Chet Holmgren as a basketball player right now, like just straight up, like put everything together. But when you translate that to the NBA, it's just not anywhere close to the prospect you mentioned second round. So that'll be fun. And uh, we, we will be talking about these guys likely for years to come in the NBA. Yeah, absolutely. And, and look, before we get over to some games, you know, we've got some juicy lines. Wednesday night is like a night for the ages in the NBA. Finally, a, a night where we just have like three, four games that you want to be glued to. I do want to give a quick honorable mention to the guy who I believe is the best guard in this draft class. Jaden Ivey has been something else for Purdue. I mean, you know, without him, the way he took over against Texas down the stretch, incredible. His last five games, he's averaging 20, averaging about 40% from three in Purdue's last four wins. Jaden Ivey has solidified himself, in my opinion, as a top five pick, probably the first guard taken off the board this year. So I just wanted to give him a shout out. But McKenzie, Let's get to the NBA Tuesday night. We've got a game that it seems like, you know, we're talking about these two teams a lot. The final two months of the season, the Bulls and the Bucks. Of course, we know, you know, I came in hot and heavy with the Bucks over the All-Star break to win that division plus 110 odds. Now they're like minus 450 and they're 2-0 against the Bulls so far this season with two to play. One of these two is Tuesday night and the Bucks are five and a half point favorites in this one. Mackenzie, what do you think of that line? What do you think of this matchup? Milwaukee's 2-0 already this season. My guess is that they were five-and-a-half-point favorites for about 15 seconds because that line, to me, is crazy. That line is wrong. And at six, it's wrong. That's where it is right now at DraftKings and FanDuel. It's six. The Bulls 
you look at the record, they just beat the Raptors by 14 points. What have they done? What have they done to change this power dynamic in the NBA Central? We said it was crazy at the time when when the Bucks had a, had a two game deficit and they were only plus one ten. We're like, this is a much better team that will win a lot more games down the stretch than a Bulls team that started the season red hot shooting with guys some of them aren't even there like Lonzo Ball and has this MVP candidate Demar Derozan playing out of his shoes and is still playing five hundred basketball. I am not impressed with the Chicago Bulls. Milwaukee Bucks have dominated this matchup they've won let me see it's ridiculous since 2017 they've lost once I don't want to go through and count all these W's but they continue to dominate this matchup they cover against the spread every time but one two three four five out of looks like 16 games I will do this analysis when I do my write-up and send it to my clients the only question is whether it's going to be one, two, or three-star play because I love this. I think the Bucks are way better. I think if this was everything neutral, minus six is crazy, and it's going to go up. Grab minus five and a half if it's out there. Actually, see five and a half on uh, oddshark.com. Okay, yeah, so it might be at Caesars. Grab that line. Grab that line. Uh, it's going to go up. Like I said, even if everything was even, six is, is is a fine line. I think I would lean bucks heavily. I think it should be seven, seven and a half. Here's what else is in our favor. Giannis Antetokounmpo was questionable for Saturday's game against Minnesota, took the night off. He'll have a couple of days rest. And again, in these divisional matchups, he dominates. His sharp elbows, you get unused to them. Sometimes you get used to a certain difficulty. This time you get Worse and worse, the more he faces you, the more he understands how to use his aggression against you. We see it against the Pistons, Pacers, Bucks. Kills the NBA Central for years. It's been the same this year. Against this team, since his first MVP, since his first MVP season, Giannis Antetokounmpo is 13-1, and 10-4 ATS over the last couple of years. Yeah, I stopped myself and edited and did back the numbers. It's magic, right? Here's the topper. Here's why I can't believe this line. As we speak, the, the Bulls are wrapping up a 113-99 victory versus the Toronto Raptors. Hard-fought home win. They got to wheel back to Milwaukee, fat and happy, tomorrow. Two-point disadvantage, I think at least, which is the standard disadvantage for an NBA road back-to-back versus an extra-rested team, might even be two and a half. You add that together, two and a half, plus the extra half point maybe for Giannis, that's three. This, this line has to be nine. This line has to be nine. My power rankings with that two-point adjustment make it nine and a half. Maybe I'm bullish on the – or, yeah, bullish on the Bucks, and maybe I'm too bearish on the Bulls. I don't think so. Obviously, they're my numbers. But, yeah, best bet, Milwaukee Bucks minus the six. That is, that's it, huh? I was going to ask you. You were so high on it. That's your best bet right off the bat, huh? Yes, sir. I, I love it. I love it. I can't say I'm going to be as generous. I'm going to make everyone stick around till the end for my best bet this episode. we got to keep them listening somehow. I'm with you a thousand percent. Now, I I will say the only logical explanation I can think of for this line is the fact that, you know, like I mentioned, this is the third meeting between these two this season. Earlier in the year, very different teams we're dealing with. The Bucs were favored by 11 and a half. They won 94-90. Second meeting, I don't know exactly. I don't have it up in front of me what they were favored by. I believe it was like four, four and a half. They won by six. So they've got two wins, averaging a five point. That was in Chicago. Yeah, that, that was in Chicago. That was the more recent game. And I think that might have been my best bet because that was right after I made my Bucks will win the division uh, claim on the show over the All-Star break. So this is the third matchup 
and the first two have been decided by four and six points respectively. That's the only reasoning I can think of for Milwaukee being a five and a half to six point favorite in this one. I'm with you. They're significantly better. The Bulls have, they, I mean, these two teams have come out of the all-star break, polar opposites, right? You've got the Bulls in their last 10, and that's including tonight's win, three and seven straight up, two and eight against the spread. Prior to tonight uh, against Toronto, the Bulls last 10, they were two and eight straight up, just one and nine against the number. You've got Milwaukee in their last 10, eight and two straight up, seven and three against the spread. Now, the Bucks as a favorite cover exactly 50% of the time, which is not great, not that reliable. But the Bulls as an underdog, 9-18 and 18 against the spread. That's one out of every three. That's the third worst mark as a dog in the NBA. As a road dog, they're even worse, 5-13 and 13 against the number. That's also the third worst mark in that respective category as a road dog in the NBA. And Milwaukee, they've won 44 games. They have covered in 33 of their 44 wins. Do the simple, easy math. That's 75% of their wins they also happen to cover in. I don't see Milwaukee losing this game. I like 75% odds. I'm going to go with the Bucks, just like you, to win and to cover in this one. Let's go. I like it. I like the agreement. I love it. I, I, lo- I, love-, I love when we're on the same side of the other's best bet. It makes me feel that much more confident. You know, my best bet's still to come, but, you know, for you, this might be a steal. I really like this one for you. Let's get to our final game. Before my best bet, the Utah Jazz Wednesday night at the Boston Celtics. Now, look, we've got a ton of great hoops Wednesday night, right? We've got Warriors Heat. We've got Grizzlies Nets, which there's no line for. Obviously, no line for any of these Wednesday games officially yet. Can't wait to see Kyrie and KD take on John Morant and the Grizzlies down in Memphis. But the Utah Jazz are headed to TD to play the Boston Celtics. Mackenzie, you project that the Celtics are going to be three-point favorites, correct? Yes, I do. I think they're slightly better at this point by the power ratings. That would have seemed crazy come January when the Jazz had the best record, best metrics. But since whenever, since any amount of weeks you want to go back, last week, two weeks ago, the Celtics have just continued to shatter teams. They did it against the Nuggets. They ended up not covering tonight against the Thunder, although they were up by 30 most of the game. Uh, the Celtics have completely changed the narrative. And yeah, I think the market is going to make them conceived slightly better at home. Home quite about two-point advantage. I think this line comes around about three. Okay, so with Boston not covering tonight, that means that since January 29th, we're looking at a 23-game sample size. That's a quarter of a full NBA season, a little more actually. Boston is 20-3 and three straight up. In their last 23, they've won 20 times against the number. Back down to earth a little bit, not as good, but still very respectable, 13-9-1 against the spread. Utah, since February 4th, going back almost as far, just a week later, why are we picking February 4th here? That's when Donovan Mitchell returned from his injury and two, two and a half week hiatus. Since then, the Jazz are 14-6 and six straight up, that's including tonight's loss to Brooklyn, 10-9-1 against the spread. So both teams have been pretty dominant since, you know, the last week of January, first week of February. Both teams have been just slightly above average against the spread. And this is tough. I would say that with a spread of three, I think whoever wins should cover. Now, mention that the Celtics have won 20 of 23. At home, straight up, they're 24 and 12. Now, ironically, Boston's actually one of the worst cover teams at home. 
And they're even worse as a home favorite. Absolutely abysmal as a home favorite against the spread. But Utah, straight up on the road since Mitchell's return, is just four and five. So since Donovan Mitchell came back, the Jazz 10 and one at home straight up, just four and five on the road. So even though the Celtics have been bad at covering at home, they're still winning two out of three. And the Jazz just win about half, little less than half of their road games since Mitchell's return. My lean here, because I see them winning, is Celtics minus three. I mean, I, I make the number. I made the number. So I, I don't think there's any value because I would make it I would make it three points. But obviously, I want to give you some angles, some incisions, some knife, some reason to you know start your handicap, and then maybe you can find something a little more precise. Or this number comes out of Pickham and you just slam the Celtics, or this number comes out at six and you just slam the Jazz. Short of that, though, let's look at some of the positional matchups. One thing I would look for is Mike Conley, and I say this to my chagrin because I had a a three-unit play on the Jazz, and right before the game started, I'm like, eh, sometimes point guards, when they come back, kind of struggle. In fact, my bet before that was Trey Young and Atlanta Hawks in his first game back. It looked like he kind of it, it looked like his first game back and not only do point guards often not have the rhythm of the game it's often players like Donovan Mitchell that have taken those reins from the point guard that there's a little bit of a power struggle when it comes back not like a power struggle like they're yelling at each other they just don't exactly know where to go and where to be now that that is in the second game there's a practice in there's a there's a day I think Mike Conley might have a little bit of a bigger scoring day. And the Celtics, I've said this before, they guard everybody well, but they pack the paint and they let your point guard do a little damage from the rain, from the range. And that's where Mike Conley loves to shoot, loves to take that top of the key three. So his year-to-date average is about 13 and a half. I think this number comes right around there, 13 and a half, 14. And I would look at his over for Mike Conley, getting a little more healthy, a little more back focused in the second game back from absence. Count on you whenever, you, whenever you're the one who projects the line, who creates the line, count on you to come in with a player prop because, after all, you're projecting it to be, uh, to be right in the middle. I'm not asking you to pick a side here, right? Because in your mind, that line is perfect, understandably so. It's what your algorithms and your work have, uh, have dictated. But how do you feel about my logic here? That with a line as, as little as Celtics minus three, how do you like the chances for the winning team to also cover? I do think the winning team covers. I mean, generally, that's the way it goes. But I also think the two-point advantage, two-and-a-half-point advantage, the Vegas market, Sportsbooks market puts for home field advantage, I think it's a little bit outdated, especially in a game where you get max motivation from both sides. You don't have to worry about travel, lag, and and, and any of that. Because uh, Jazz off a loss in a marquee matchup, I don't think there's going to be any uh, any let-up for the Jazz that said, you talk, you talk about the runs that they've made since Mitchell's been back, the Celtics the last couple months. I've been far more impressed with what the Celtics have done uh, because the, the games where they don't cover, like tonight against the Thunder, it's, it's perfectly explainable. The Jazz, like tonight, when they don't really put up that great of a fight against the Nets, uh, that seems more like a, a problem of uh, – it seems like their team isn't that good. Their team has problems that other teams often figure out rather than a, a motivational thing. So I think the Celtics are the better team. I think both teams bring it. If I had to play a side, I would definitely pick the Celtics. But I don't, I'm, not, I'm not anxious to play it because I don't like playing home teams generally. And I think the Jazz uh, are very good as well.
Yeah, here's the one number that really scares me if, you, if you're liking Utah here to pull off the upset. After a loss, the Jazz, after a straight-up loss, so in this case, they just lost to the Brooklyn Nets, 9-16 and 16 against the spread following a loss. That is the worst mark in the NBA. Only 36% cover rate after a straight-up loss. That scares me. And that speaks to the team. That speaks to who they are. They they have uh, they have a system in place. They have a machine. They you know get the stop with Grudy Gobert outlet long threes. Uh, smaller players running up and down with one guy uh, being really the defensive force. And when that goes sour, when you have a loss in your mouth after that, I think they start pointing fingers. I think Mitchell and Gobert's their lack of chemistry, lack of bonding. I think it starts to show up, when, and that's why they get on these losing streaks. That's why, as good as their metrics have been last year, this year, second best in the league this year, their net rating, I don't think they're that good. I don't think they're a top three or four team. I think they're a little worse than that. I, I don't know if it's only chemistry, but I think there's it, it shows up off a loss more than, more than normal. Yeah, uh, agreed. I think that Utah really struggles in situations where Donovan Mitchell just can't completely take a game over himself. When, when they need to look to the rest of the team, I think that's when things, especially, you know, Joe Ingles has been out for the year. Uh, I think that that's been a huge hit to them in terms of depth past Mitchell. Yep. And, and I think that's when they get in trouble. And Bogdanovich still out. They've been, they've been hurting there. So good point. Yeah, absolutely. Now, McKenzie, you know, I was not shy about how I feel about your best bet. I, you know, I went against you last episode. Uh, first time I can recall where I actually didn't like it. You were right. I'll give you your credit there. This episode... I love it. Milwaukee minus five and a half, but we are tied in the best bet standing. So as much as I like your best bet and I'll give you credit for, I need to make sure that, you know, if you hit that, that we stay tied. So let's get to it. The New York Knicks, my New York Knicks are playing host to the Atlanta Hawks Tuesday night at Madison Square Garden. Now going back a couple seasons now, the Knicks have actually won seven straight against Atlanta in the regular season. Of course, Atlanta and the Knicks played last year in the postseason, and the Hawks made quick work of the Knicks in a five-game series. Hawks are only favored by one and a half in this one, and I'd say that's appropriate given the Knicks' regular season success against them and the fact that the Hawks are, you know, the better team. That makes sense. I don't think Trey Young is going to go 0-4 against the Knicks this year. So my bonus bet for this game is Hawks minus 1.5. My best bet is the Knicks-Hawks under 225.5 Tuesday night. I mean, have you watched the Knicks? Uh, Has anyone out there been watching the Knicks? What kind of offense are the Knicks going to run out there that gets this total over 225 and a half. Now that's not a crazy high total. The Hawks have played in games where, you know, the totals have been 235, even 241 recently. But if you look at the history of these two teams, eight straight games. Now this includes the postseason, all five games in the postseason and all three meetings this season have gone under 225 and a half. The only time they even sniffed that was in their most recent matchup, when the total landed at 225. Take that game out of the equation. The seven prior that all went under, all went way under. I'm talking like at least eight points under this total. 
I don't think the Knicks have any offense. RJ Barrett was coming on. We talked about him a little bit a couple episodes ago. Seemed like he was giving the Knicks some life. He's gone cold lately. If he's gone cold, Julius Randle's out in the Arctic right now. Because Randle, there were points in the game against Utah where he wasn't even looking at the basket. When he got the ball, he couldn't wait to get rid of it. Julius Randle mentally does not seem all there right now. I mean, this is going back to the Phoenix game a couple weeks ago where the Knicks had that game won. He got ejected last night. He wanted to fight Rudy Gobert after the game when Gobert, after the two were very physical, went over and tried to make amends. Randall is on another planet right now and not in a good way. RJ Barrett is on a bit of a cold streak. And I just don't see the Knicks generating a lot of offense here. I think the Hawks win this one, so I like them minus one and a half as a bonus. But my best play on this game is the under 225 and a half. You won't believe you wouldn't believe me if you if you're reading my notes now. The the way you introed this and talking about your bonus bet for the Hawks was 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 the half write up I had done for my best bet before I looked <laughs> at the Bucks line and decided I'm going to play the Bucks because I like the Hawks here as well. And I I'll just read what I wrote. The Hawks beat the Knicks four and one straight up in ATS in last year's playoffs, and they're zero and three last year in the regular season, and they're zero and three straight up at ATS in this season. But isn't this kind of a playoff game? Isn't this exactly where the Hawks say, "Hey, I'm not going to go swept by my by my rival that that booed me that talked about my hairline. I'm not I'm not going to Madison Square Garden to get swept." The Hawks, by my numbers, are a significantly better team. They're a team that if you look at their metrics and you look at their standings, there's a huge disconnect. They've played a lot better than their record shows. So yeah, Hawks minus one and a half, fully endorse. And the under makes sense for the same reason I just said this is kind of a playoff game for the Hawks. They got to put their foot in the ground and do something this year if they're going to make the final eight. And if you look at regular season versus game one of a playoff, there's about a four-point drop-off. And then if you go from game one to a game seven, there's another six-point drop-off. So 10 points of drop-off if intensity is ratcheted up to max. I'm not saying that this is life and death for the Hawks, but this is much closer to that direction. So I like the Hawks, and I do think the under is the way to go. I looked at my model, and um, I was proud of it because my my golden mean model, putting everything together with the 12-day and the 30-day, made it 222.8. So you say 22, 22 and a half? I think that's a perfectly good model number for the regular season game. I think there are special circumstances for this matchup for the with the history that makes this more of a grinded-out game. So I endorse the under as well. Yeah, 225 and a half, just to clarify. But your number... Okay, wait, wait, wait a minute. All right. Well, then, uh, that's not as good. I'm a little less proud. <laughs> but that also shows that this number should be lower. Exactly. And, and that's where I was just going to go with this, is that I think that your model is more accurate because I think this game, I'm not going to say it's going to be played with game seven intensity, but I think this is a lot closer to game one of a postseason series intensity than it is to regular season intensity. And that would indicate a four-point drop-off, as you just mentioned. Look, Trey Young is hated at Madison Square Garden. MSG, after last year's postseason, probably the most hostile environment for Trey Young to go to across the NBA, which is pretty wild considering the Knicks and Hawks don't really have a rivalry. Trey Young is hated here in New York City. This is going to be played like a playoff game. And for the Hawks, you know, it, it, it needs to be, right? The Hawks are a team that is currently in that 7-10 to 10 range. They're going to try to get at least, you know, a, a home game or at least into that 7-8 game. Every game moving forward for Atlanta is a playoff game. And you add the, the 
bitter hatred between these two teams after last postseason. You know, defense doesn't get played, we say, until the playoffs in the NBA. This is going to be played like a playoff game. So I love the under, and almost as much as I love the under, I love the Hawks minus one and a half. Let's get it. I'm feeling a 2-0. and We've said that before and not delivered. We've said that before and delivered. I think this is going to be the latter. Let's do it, man. That's it for episode 26 of the NBA edition of RJ Bell's Dream Preview. For my man, Mackenzie Rivers, I'm Joe Sorallo. Guys, hope we make you some money. Thank <laughs> you.